Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. Last week we looked at The Inner Light, an episode that stands as one of the best hours of Star Trek The Next Generation, and one that's a tour de force for Patrick Stewart as an actor. Stewart, of course, will get a chance to flex his acting muscles again, and maybe his real ones. That guy is cut. Um, in his uh, upcoming Picard series on CBS All Access, but no one knows exactly what to expect from the new series. Will Picard be growing grapes, or playing the flute, or doing both simultaneously? We can't be sure, but we can speculate. And that's exactly what we do on this week's episode. We, in this case, being myself and special guest Clarence Brown of the Discussing Trek podcast. Clarence and I talk about current Trek news, we take a look back at the first season of Star Trek Discovery, and we look forward to the Discovery short treks and what we might see in Season 2. We're going to get right into the news and my talk with Clarence, but stick around until the end of the show to hear where you can check out Discussing Trek and for a few special announcements about what this show has to offer in the near future. I don't know, talking to other podcasts, consorting with the enemy... Sounds dangerous, but if loving Star Trek and discussing it with cool people is wrong, then I don't want to be right. And with that, let's get underway. I'm joined on the show today by a special guest. He's the host of Discussing Trek, a podcast talking about all things Star Trek. It's Clarence Brown. Clarence, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Aaron. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm glad to be on. <laughs> Good to have you aboard. Uh, I always ask new guests to the show about their background with Trek. How did you become a Trek fan? Oh, Trek fan. So I think I, I came in pretty late. Uh, I'm 39 years old. So, of course, I saw a lot of TNG as it was coming on through the years. But yeah. I, I really didn't just jump on into uh, Deep Space Nine, probably halfway through the run. And again, you know, people have talked about the problems of trying to catch up and watch episodes. So even then, watching episodes was hard. Um Especially for me living out in the country, not great reception uh, as far as some of the channels uh, and stuff. So, yeah, you know, catching on mostly later when my family finally got uh, satellite internet, uh, satellite TV. And, <laughs> sure. and, and from there, you know, um, very much, very much a lover of, you know, probably one of the least liked series until Enterprise. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Voyager. Right. I was a huge Voyager fan as well. So uh, yeah. midway through the DS9, uh, Voyager, and and um, on out is kind of where I got my start with the series. Sure. If you can be a fan or you can become a fan through Voyager and Enterprise, then that's hardcore. <laughs> like, you're a real fan. It's not that bad. <laughs> no, of course not. Kids today have no idea uh, what it was like because now with everything streaming, you know, the, the whole franchise is on Netflix. And just having to be a kid and just tune in at 530 or, or 6 or whatever and just hope that that one episode was on or see something on an episode and go, is that a thing? Like, when did these two are married or yeah. this guy, you know, did this and hopefully I'll see that episode one day, but I don't know. Yeah, well, w what a joy to be a fan now to 
<laughs> to be able to just go in and, you know, just uh, take it at your heart's content and, and be able to watch all the episodes. De- definitely different from, you know, someone, even someone just jumping into Star Trek, they can go in and uh, consume everything. And I just find that to be wonderful. And starting in the middle of DS9, like you said, I know that like specifically in the middle uh, Way of the Warrior, the beginning of season four, they kind of set that up as a kind of reintroduction as they bring Worf on the station and yeah. kind of tell you, there's a lot been going on here. Yeah. So you're like, here are the players, you know, he goes and he meets everybody and you kind of figure out where you're going from there. Yeah, certainly. And um, I will mention that Cisco is my favorite captain. Okay. Um, uh, to see the kind of the role model he was at Jake on that series is just phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, as one of my co-hosts mentioned, he does a, a, a pretty darn good job raising Jake. And <laughs> I just thought that was wonderful to see that on television, especially, you know, seeing a, a black man on television and, and succeeding in raising his son alone, I just thought was phenomenal. Yeah, especially in a show and in a genre where the parents are always just brought up because oh they're dead and I have to deal with that you <laughs> yeah. know or I don't I don't get along with them yeah. because that's conflict just seeing them uh like you said just have such a healthy relationship is really great so um you don't just uh, discuss Trek, of course. You've got discussing comics, discussing Who, as in Doctor Who, uh, all on the Grits Network. How did Grits come together? Well, um, Grits is more of um, we have a local podcast group for Grits, but actually, the network of just the podcast I'm mainly on is called Discussing Network. Um, Network. Yeah, no, that's fine. And and on there we have, like you said, discussing comics, discussing Trek, and discussing Who. So it all kind of started with uh, me and a uh, co-worker at, at the job I used to be at. And we kind of just, you know, have these conversations, probably, probably how a lot of uh, podcasts start actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you have these conversations and you're like, man, uh, we should like record that and let somebody hear what we're talking about. We're doing this for free. Yeah. yeah. We're doing it for free. Let's, <laughs> let's get it out there. And we still might be doing it for free, but then, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and then we'll have people listening. So, um, that's kind of the, the impetus of that. And, uh, before we started the whole discussing uh, podcast thing, uh, before that, I was on a tech podcast with my brother and some more friends. I think we started that in like 08 uh, called oh, wow. Tech Pedition. So, um, yeah, I've been podcasting off and on for quite a long time, hosting sometimes, but really discussing Trek was my first time trying to uh, take on the hosting duties myself. So it's it's been a journey and it's it's been fun. And on Discussing Trek, you don't just talk about the shows, you also talk about comics and other subjects like that. Yes, certainly, certainly. We talk about the comics, which have been pretty interesting, uh, to, especially some of the Discovery comics, getting some of the backstory uh, of, mm-hmm. of the Klingons and Takuma, and, and, um, as well as diving into some of the Mirror Universe things that happened post-season one. So it's, yeah. it's been pretty interesting uh, jumping into that. They have been of varying quality, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. well, overall it's been pretty interesting. And, of course, we have uh, talked a little bit about the books as well, um, sure. uh, uh, Drastic Measures and Desperate Hours, and yet to talk about the Saru book, but we're going to be diving into that one as well. Uh, as a fan of comics, I'm sure that you're aware of the varying quality of the <laughs> adaptations and tie-in media for comics. Uh, sometimes you get a, a really good art uh, writer or artist, and sometimes it's like, yeah, this is a kind of a cash-in. Yeah, that's that's certainly true, and as well as just the art of the pages, you know, you you gra- gravitate gravitate to your favorite artist, and you know, yeah. depending on what book and what writer is taking this certain section. Um, it, it, it may be of vastly different quality. So yeah, you know, it's part of, uh, 
of diving into comets. Yeah. On the subject of Doctor Who, uh, personally, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Jodie Whittaker play the Doctor. Yes. Uh, which is, that's coming up any any day now. Yes, that's going to be fantastic. And maybe Doctor Who recently has been going through some of the things. Um, some of our other, other fandoms, such as uh, Star Wars and such as um, um, the Star Trek as well, of vast changes to what we think the franchise uh, or the IP should be. And yeah. and um, how are uh, the fans latching onto that, and how it's portrayed in you know in this time to where we have the internet and everything is so instant, and people giving uh, so much feedback, at, you know, yeah. Yeah, almost right. instantly, you know. So it's it's an interesting time to be a fan, and especially when we want to, uh, with the with the runners, producers want to change things just a bit and and uh, take it in a different direction. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot on on my show as well. Just the idea of the reaction of fans to changes and how it can be really tough to sort of pull fans along into new things. And it's no, it's not a new problem. You know, I remember in the pre-internet days, you know, when something would happen on a show and we would argue about whether that's the right way to go or if we liked that change or not. But like you said, the, the reaction is so immediate. It's almost like people don't have, because, you know, like if we didn't like something on DS9 or on Voyager, we had time to talk about it yeah. and sort of assimilate it, so to speak. And people just, you know, instant really act, uh, react to things now. And it's often not a positive reaction. to Yeah. And, and even so, uh, I would think, you know, earlier on, it was more siloed. Um, whereas now you're talking to the world, you know, in an instant, you're yeah. talking to everybody. And, you yeah. know, it's uh, you can find, you, you know, you probably can find one person in your town who, you know, back in your small town back in the day that didn't like something. But when all those one people across the world group together, then you have a formidable force <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> that are there to kind of, um, you know, uh, sound off, so to speak, and, and um, ruffle some feathers. I've always thought, and I don't know if all Trek fans would agree with me, but Doctor Who is basically like British Star Trek. I mean, they both provide like this sort of semi-educational sci-fi. It's centered around social themes. You know, they both arose in the 60s when sci-fi was starting to address yeah. deeper themes. Uh, a crossover could only help both brands, right? Oh, I see it. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I don't know. I just think, you know, as far as the similarities, I think they do have similar fans um, types of people who are willing to explore different themes or uh, have an open mind, uh, yeah. I think is the main thing. And, you know, I, you just have to hope that that continues, especially you speak of the new doctor, the 13th doctor. And, you know, if any franchise is poised to have this person change into a woman, <laughs> you know, uh, you would think Doctor Who fans would be on board with that because that's the nature of the character. Yeah. But, you know, we are so ingrained in the things we think or or what the character should be, you know, no yeah. No new force powers, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and and when things change, we kind of need to step back a little bit and say, OK, are we going to continue to have this franchise or this IP that is stale or stagnant? Or are we going to just, you know, maybe explore this new direction just a little bit? You know, um, yeah, we do have the opportunity to change and bring it back to to something that's more familiar. But let's 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 see what we can do to maybe bring in some new fans yeah. and, and um, extend the franchise to, to a whole new audience. 
Yeah, why not? It sounds like you have a lot of material for discussing wars, if you ever want to do that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, on Discussing Trek, you guys talk about the news from the world of Trek. I also do that on my show. So do you mind going over some of the latest Trek news with me? Oh, man, sure. Let's do it. The biggest Trek story in recent days is, of course, the news that Patrick Stewart will be returning to the Trek universe as Jean-Luc Picard. And just this week, Stewart posted an image to his Instagram of himself in the writer's room for the show, along with Akiva Goldsman, Kirsten Beyer, Michael Chabin, and some other writers. And in the picture, I'm not sure what the context is, but he's sort of like pointing at something, and all the other writers are are looking at it. What do you think that he is pointing at in that room? Oh, man. Man, I have no idea. Um, Hmm. I didn't notice that in the picture, to be honest. <laughs> I did he's, not. In the one that I saw, he's got his like legs crossed. He's kind of leaning back in his chair, and it, it it's not inspirational, but it looks like he's kind of pointing, you know, off frame. Uh, I know that Michael Chabin had earlier posted a sort of a picture of a whiteboard map, and it was like a <laughs> rough drawing of like the galaxy, uh, and it said like you know Alpha Quadrant, Beta Quadrant. I think they were just trying to sort of get set up, like okay, where are we now again? Like this is twenty years later, right? Yeah, well, it could be one of those, um, I don't know, those detective boards where they have the the the, um, the yarn going to different sections. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> how are we mapping this out? Where are we in the timeline? Right. And how can we shake this up a little bit? You know, that's I hope, what I would imagine in my mind. Is going yeah. <laughs> I hope they have something like that because I'm sort of confused myself. Uh, my board is, uh, I do have a board like that, of course, uh, in my studio at home. <laughs> Uh, now that uh, Picard's back, uh, everybody seems to want to climb aboard with him. I heard that Rosario Dawson, who's a lifelong Trek fan, uh, said at the uh, Tribeca TV Festival recently that she'd love to play a Klingon on the new series. And uh, James McAvoy, who plays young Professor X in the X-Men films, replied to this Instagram post of Stewart's. And he, uh, he said, uh, hey, you need a flashback guy? Uh-oh. Yeah. Of course, yeah, he plays young uh, Professor X in the X-Men films. Yeah, I think... Both of those choices are good, though Though I can say from my experience with the Marvel Netflix series, uh, Clara Temple has <laughs> has waned on me a bit. But yeah, you know, <laughs> if, if, if she's a fan of Star Trek, you know, get her in there as a Klingon. I think she's an excellent actor, even though I kid a little bit. Yeah. Uh, get her in there and, and, and especially, you know, uh, uh, McAvoy, because, um, you know, he did play the young um, Dr. Xavier. So, yeah, bring him in if you can. Yeah, I think he'd be a good choice, too, although a lot of people are saying, well, it has to be Tom Hardy, because, of course, he played uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. the clone in Nemesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, good, good, good point. Speaking of Nemesis, something I'm really excited about with the Picard series is that we've never seen, you know, the future of the future. We've never be- gone beyond that sort of firewall of the end of mm-hmm. Nemesis. You know, even Discovery, which is very futuristic looking, is set way in the past. So w- what do you think that we might see in a show set 20 years after Next Generation? I'm trying to think of what we've seen in the future. Um, I know we have that at the end of Voyager, we like skip forward to Janeway. Right. An older Janeway. Is that what that might be the oldest we've seen in Star Trek canon? Poss- possibly. Yeah. I th- I'm trying to remember exactly how far the um, All Good Things finale of TNG yeah, is set forward. But right. I think it's in a similar sort of vein. And the funny thing is, is they've done this a couple of times. They did this, like you mentioned, on Voyager. They did it on TNG. There's also an episode... Um, is it the visitor? I'm not sure. There's the one on DS9 mm. where they flash forward. And every time we go to that sort of future uh, of those series, they're all wearing kind of the same uniform. They all have like the same insignia. And so yeah. clearly at some point the production went, oh, it'll look like this in the future. 
And I think it's not very likely that they'll stick to that, but it would be interesting if they updated that look with the new Discovery kind of aesthetic. Well, you know, uh, the thing I hear most is people talk about, you know, why bring Discovery back into this time frame to where you have so many constraints? Yeah. And, And most everybody I talk to say, why not put it in the future? You know, sure. Yeah, uh, that it, it'll be interesting to see what modern tech, modern computer graphics, um, what type of um, design they go for as far as aesthetics of the ship or if even if we're on the ship, we don't know. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, maybe like you said, the update to the uniforms. And, you know, my biggest thing is like, what is what is uh, Picard going to be doing? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cause, right. Because he, he definitely uh, tabled the announcement with, you know, he might not be on the starship, you know, right. so it, what is he going to be doing? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Will he be just uh, tying up uh, vines in the in the vineyard <laughs> or uh, maybe working on archaeology or, or God Good. knows? That might be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we'll get to see other characters from TNG or even from the earlier Star Trek universe. I'd certainly like to. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, though. Uh, at a recent uh, panel at the Rose City Comic Con uh, that Michael Doran, Marina Sirtis, and Gates McFadden were all on, uh, they confirmed that they haven't been asked to return for the show. And they were uh, they were a little spicy about it, too. They didn't seem to be too happy about that. I don't blame them. You know, I hope it's just that, you know, they you know, we showed we showed Stuart in the writing room. I hope it's just that we haven't got to that point to where we're mapping out the stories and we know what the episode arcs are going to be. I hope that's the case. Yeah, it's certainly prime to bring them on for cameos all throughout. You know, I would eat that up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that you see how uh, people responded to the announcement and the release of Discovery, and it was sort of sort of mixed. And then they announced that Picard is coming back and everybody is universally excited about it. And I (laughs) think a lot of that is the goodwill for Patrick Stewart, but also I think people realize that it's sort of like a return to this older, I don't know, mid-period Star Trek universe that uh, we all enjoyed so much. Enterprise notwithstanding. Yeah, true, true. And I just think you definitely um, you definitely need to bring these actors on while we have them. Yeah. You know, it's only going to be so long to where we have these actors. And certainly as we've seen over the last decade of some of our beloved uh, TOS actors, you know, passing away and things like that. Yeah. And we just certainly need to, if they have the opportunity, if the story allows, you know, if you bring them on for five minutes just for a cameo, do it. You know, I, th- I think it would be, it would do great for the audience of TNG to come on and pull them in um, uh, by any means necessary. I just, I just think it's something they should do. Yeah. Just having lunch with them or something. Yeah. You know, in passing, especially, (laughs) especially after the end of Star Trek nemesis, I just want to know those characters are all doing okay. Like it ends so down and so negatively. Yeah, I mean, and I'm thinking of uh, going back to one of my favorites, Voyager. I'm thinking of episodes when Barkley came on and when Troy came on the episodes. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. I was, I was, you know, that was just so uh, enduring to me to bring those characters back on and let them live in that, live in that, that suit for just a little while longer. Yeah. Well, it's not just actors that want a shot at the New Trek show. At a recent Q&A session after a screening of Mission Impossible Fallout, a fan asked Fallout director Christopher McQuarrie if he'd like a chance to direct a Star Trek feature, and he said yes, and that Paramount should get in touch with him. And the interesting thing is that this information that we got came from Rob Liefeld. You know who that is. 
Yeah, yeah, that's the 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 comic book person, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Life. Yes, yeah. comic book artist, co-creator of Deadpool. I guess he yes. was just in the audience at this screening. Huh, that's interesting. And he's yeah. the one to leak the news. <laughs> yeah, right. He's our big source here. Uh, you can see on his Instagram that he's taking a picture with Christopher McQuarrie. And in the picture, he's in jeans and flip-flops. So oh, stay, stay classy, Rob. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the thing there is um, you hear of, um, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm going to slip my mind right now, the family guy person, uh, Seth, Orville. S- yeah, yeah, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, yeah you, you hear uh, of Seth MacFarlane bringing in all these Star Trek people on his show, the Orville. Right, right, right. And, you know, it's goodwill, even though, you know, whatever your opinion of the Orville is. Um, and I just would hate to see them lose opportunities. I mean, it's the same with the actors. You lose yeah. opportunities to some of these, you know, people that have been around throughout Star Trek history to bring them on and, you know, maybe aid in the show going forward. You know, just like we had Jonathan Frex on um, on Discovery. I think that was excellent. We need more of that. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Um, I want to see that too. And they also just have a, you know, they have like a cultural ownership of this property, really. I mean, they're still, think about the way that Shatner has control over Kirk. <laughs> like yes. they brought yes. Pike back, Spock back, you know, for the, for the new <laughs> season of Discovery and no Kirk. And it's mainly because yeah. I don't think they'd want to have to deal with <laughs> what he would say about it oh. if they tried to recast Kirk. Oh, man. How would it be to see a, what, he would be in his early 20s? Kirk? Uh, he would be very young, yeah, probably early 20s. Oh, man, that would be uh, a... <laughs> that would be a joy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to expect, actually. <laughs> yeah, what I really want to know is, why is Liefeld wearing flip-flops? Do you think he's fascinated by his own feet? <laughs> like, he's like, wow, they're so intricate. Nobody could ever capture these on paper. I think he would say they're comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the really big news. Uh, as we mentioned, Star Trek Discovery will come back with its second season uh, in hopefully January of next year. But before that happens, CBS is going to release four Discovery-themed short films on their all-access service. Each film will feature a separate character from Discovery. Uh, Tilly, Saru, Mud, and a new character called Craft are the four characters that will be focused on. Uh, just about a year ago, I don't know if you remember, it seems like a million years ago to me, yeah. uh, Discovery premiered on CBS, all ac- uh, on CBS and continued on All Access. What, what's your opinion, if you can summarize it, I guess, uh, uh, in a sentence or, or a short paragraph, what was your opinion of the show's first season? Oh, the first season. Oh, man. It had its ups and downs. I feel like it was hard for maybe an older Trek fan to to get on board. And not so much because of the aesthetics, but the theme of, I think Lorca is what threw a lot of people off, which, you know, understandably. Okay, interesting. It was done on purpose. Just Lorca in general or what we learn about him or... Um, at first, because of the type of captain he was, He's, I see. he he was so vastly different from the other captains we've had on the series, with the exception of a few role captains. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and for Trek fans to come in and see that, they just could not fathom uh, a Starfleet captain being that way. Of course, we get the story on out to see, okay, you know, all these circumstances happen, and it wasn't our Lorca, uh, so to speak. Right. But, but I think that, and then maybe the, the point that we're in this war and the, I, I think the overall tone, it was just different. You know, I was talking to my buddy, uh, um, we call him the Trek story in Jonathan shorts, but, <laughs> but you know, there's a sense of whimsy you'd get from a Star Trek episode. Um, you know, the episode, the type, the, the, the ending credits roll and, 
you feel this sense of accomplishment. You got this full story. You have 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 completed this short arc. And the thing is with with Discovery is that it was not like that. You some of the in the episodes you felt bad a little bit. You yeah, know? it was tense. Yeah, and, and 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 on top of that, the arc went over. You know what was it? Thirteen episodes. Right. And and you didn't get that satisfaction after each. So I think it was a lot of things for fans to overcome as well as you have this competing thing over here, the Orville, which people are saying, Oh, that's my star Trek. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, you know, so many, th- but overall I thought it was a solid season. If you just stuck in there for the entire thing, I think you got your money's worth. Right. Uh, but, but overall I loved it. And then yeah. there's the whole CBS all access thing. And that's another story. <laughs> well, that's a different, yeah, different story. <laughs> there was a mixed reaction from fans when the show first debuted. Do you feel like people have come around on discovery? You know, I, I think the people that stuck with it, um, are very happy right now. Yeah. Uh, does it have its problems? Yeah. I think the, the ending of this huge, massive Klingon war ended with a fizz. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but, but, but overall, you know, I think if you stuck with the series and, you know, you were able to get over some of the things that were different, um, aesthetically, timeline wise, maybe this captain, this character Burnham, which nobody knew about, you know, if you can get over some of those things and you know, as well as the whole idea of the spore drive, excuse me, um, <laughs> I, I think if you stuck with it, though, I think by the end you were were mostly happy. And I think that's where I was. Yeah. What did you think of Michael Burnham as a main character? Oh, man, it was very different. Very different. Um, I have to say I like the actor, uh, Sonique Martin-Green, because I saw her in The Walking Dead first, Sasha. Right. right. Uh, but but overall, I think the idea of a redemption arc, I think it worked. But again, from the very beginning, it didn't feel very much Star Trek. I felt mm. it was a good story. I, I latched on to it. But again, for people who are longtime fans, seeing this, you know, this non-main, well, non-captain, you know, kind of be the focus of the story, I think maybe it was a lot to swallow. Yeah. It does take a little while to get going, too. Yeah. But once it does, like you mentioned, I mean, it rewards your investment in it. Yes. I think in most space. people generally agree that uh not a not a great pilot like the first two episodes um i don't think that the first two episodes aren't are are poorly produced but i don't think they're a good introduction to the show that we eventually end up getting um and you know it really rewards your investment in it for me it was just i really didn't i really didn't like michael burnham like as a character (laughs) uh, when the show starts and i thought okay show here, here it is. Here's, here's what it seems like you're wanting to do. You yeah. want to put this character in a hole and then try to get them out and make me Sorry. like them. And I think that they, they really did that. You know, I, I'm excited to see where they're going uh, in this new year. Yeah, I mean, so much to get over. I mean, especially we talked about Lorca, but like you just mentioned with Burnham, I mean, she commits the ultimate betrayal of of uh, of Captain Giorgio and yeah. and and what we get in the season is just her trying to climb out of this hole, trying to climb out. Yeah. And and by the end, where in the beginning she made this uh, unilateral decision to to do what she think is right. You know, by the end we get this theme of where, okay, we're pulling everybody in. We're going to, we're going to do this as a Starfleet crew 
and um and that's what they do so you know um do we love not having a captain be the main focus i don't know even in the normal shows the captain is not always the main focus we go from character to character. Sure. So what what I'm hoping to see maybe in the next season is maybe get a little more limelight on each of the other characters, uh, some of the crew members we didn't get, you know, didn't get very much fanfare and and maybe flesh out what the Discovery crew is. Yeah. Something else that I um that I really liked about the season was the construction as well, because you have immediately the establishment of this idea of for the Klingons, they want to remain Klingon. They have this, <laughs> they have this, even as we don't really recognize these Klingons, but that again, don't worry about that. Um, and you've also got it, you've got it on the other side uh, with Starfleet, where she makes this bad decision, like you said, and she sort of questions what it means to follow the values of Starfleet. And that all goes to the end where she sort of redeems and renews those, you know, yeah. that uh, commitment. And we also see that the Klingons as well, it doesn't, we don't totally say their way is wrong and they shouldn't be Klingon. With Laurel sort of taking charge, they're kind of changing what it means to be Klingon yeah. and kind of finding a new path that's not just this really, you know, violent kind of closed off kind of thing. It's just, it's such a, I don't know how people can say that it's not Star Trek because it's such a Star Trek story. Yeah. Oh, uh, we just uh, reviewed the uh, Star Trek Enterprise uh, episode Affliction, which, if you remember, kind of covers the the uh, story of how we got the TOS Klingons. Right. The uh, augment virus. Yes. And and one of my co-hosts came up with with an excellent, excellent opinion um, that maybe when the. Now, I guess we don't know how vast the virus spread, but in TOS, we don't have any of the Klingons we know uh, from the series thereafter. We don't have any that look like that. Yeah. So he he made the idea up that maybe the reintroduction to maybe the original Kling, Klingon strand is what causes um, causes some of the Discovery Klingons to look so different. Now okay. that doesn't make any sense because still in TOS they still look like humans, but right, but, <laughs> right. But but I can kind of see that if you reintroduce maybe a prehistoric version or strand to get them back, <laughs> back how they supposed to look, it maybe makes them go overboard. That's why they yes. look so different in Discovery. But yes. again, it doesn't explain why they why they look like humans in <laughs> in yeah. TOS. Yeah, Maybe the gotta, virus broke out again. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's persistent. You got to love fan theories. I know that like before they came up with that explanation, even in the time of uh, in DS9 where Worf's like, we don't talk about that. Yeah. Um, I know me and my friends always thought, well, it makes sense. Like if they don't have a ban on genetic engineering the way Starfleet does, why wouldn't they play with that sort of thing? And yeah. if they want to send out uh, Klingons who are going to be uh, dealing with humans, why not create like a less warlike humanish Klingon that can like talk and negotiate and all yeah, that stuff yeah. without, you know, just wanting to cut everybody's throats all the time. So that was kind of our solution for that. Certainly. So, well, overall, let me ask you, what do you think of the breaks in Canon? Um, well, I was going to ask you that so we could talk about <laughs> it together. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I'll say that for me, I'm mostly fine with it. Yeah. Um, I am not, uh, let me speak blasphemy here for all the Star Trek fans. I'm not the hugest TOS fan. I love it and respect what I do watch of it. Um, sure. But I'm not the hugest just because, you know, I was DS9 Voyager. That's kind of what uh, cut my teeth on. But that being said, um, I'm not that 
adamant about the canon changes. And when you look at the or canon differences, I'll say, and you can have a, a bunch of different things when you even speak of canon. Is it the aesthetic? Is it the story differences? Uh, or is it the ships that look different um, that yeah. bother you? And and um, I heard uh, our friend over at Trek Yards, um, well, not friend, I'm saying friend, but guy over at Trek Yards talk about um, we're not in the Prime universe. We're not in the, oh, the Kelvin universe. We are firmly in the Disco-verse. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sure. <laughs> Do you, do you I, believe we're in a disco verse? I love that people get one of the words that I've learned to hate as I've run a Star Trek podcast for a while is the word canon. It's like everybody <laughs> has a different attitude towards it and they all get themselves twisted up. And it's sure it's one of the things that we love. Like back when I was younger and we used to play the Star Trek role playing game, we'd uh-huh. memorize all the ships and the stats. Uh, I don't know if you remember like, in, you know, like World War Two, they'd give soldiers cards with silhouettes of enemy planes on them so they could identify the planes when they see them in the sky. We could do that with all the ships and the classes and stuff like wow. that. And, yeah, I mean, that's I love that aspect of it, but we have to remember that all of canon is just a gestalt of what we've <laughs> seen on screen. You know, like a writer yeah. comes in, they accept a script from somebody who it was just a submitted script. And now these elements are part of the show. And it's sort of like it's all a back formation. And yeah. I, I would hate for canon to shackle creativity. Uh, I don't you know, you were saying that you don't admire the um, people who did discovery for setting it when they did. I don't really admire the people who are doing the show 20 years later when they've got 50 years of real world and hundreds of years of in story uh, canon that they have to sort of deal with. They have the, uh, the, the fortune of being on one end of it where they can just go, well, this happened now, but do they keep in things that people kind of don't like, like, you know, Romulus being destroyed and, and all the things that sort of led to the Kelvin verse, you know, I don't know, but my, you know, the final word for me is I would hate for Canon to, to restrict storytelling. I like coming up with stupid theories, you know, <laughs> so if you want to introduce some element that is some, something new or maybe sort of put something in question, fine. Let's, you know, it, it, it led to episodes like affliction, them just yeah. trying to figure out, well, how do we make this work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you certainly don't want to, like you said, shackle the show, you want to be able to introduce new ideas that can push the show forward. Yeah. And, and I think about, you know, what would I think about Star Trek if I just started watching Discovery? Mm-hmm. You know, would it, would it be enough to bring me in? Um, I know with the emergence of All Access and this being the premiere show on CBS All Access, that they're going for very much a Game of Thrones budget. We're going to you know, go all out and make this a top-notch movie-esque production. Yeah. But like, like, what are they doing to bring people in? And and it's always that balance of moving forward, but not you know alienating someone who is has loved the show for many many years. Yeah, I, I think boy, that's a great question. Sometimes I wish that I could like you know zap the information <laughs> out of my head so I could watch it you know uh, with uh, with a fresh start for the first time. But with a property that's been around as long as Trek or even something like Doctor Who, it seems like they're always trying to reinvent and start from start from scratch uh, with Doctor Who. Um, like you didn't like the Stephen Moffat stuff. Well, this is all new, <laughs> but it's not all new. There's 55 years you know, yeah. behind it. And so I think that the cultural cachet that it has will always give people a sort of base knowledge. Like we get phasers, transporters. Yeah. You know, we get that we're exploring and trying to make the universe better. And so, I don't know, that's, as far as foundations go, that's not a bad bad foundation to have. 
Yeah. So do you have theories about how discovery will end? Um, how ultimately like years from now? Well, um, let let me walk that back just a little bit. Let's, I guess I want to talk about. Are you taking how... over the show? Or are you hosting now? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just instinct. I'm sorry. Go but, for it. But 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 how um, Alex Kurtzman in at Comic Con, the San Diego Comic Con, he yeah. was he was pretty much adamant about how we're going to be able to marry this show up with what we know. Right. I I think that was a mistake. And well, that's uh, we're we're going into it for season two here. Yeah, and and you know the reason being is that I think he could he should have said we're going to do the best we can to get it close, but I think they're always of course the show was made in the '60s. There's always going to be visual differences that are not going to be to what longtime fans have known and love, and even technology wise CG, it's just not going to be the same. Yeah. So I. I just think you have to make the point up that to say we're going to hold true to what the values of the show are and do our best to keep it as close as we can. Yeah. But it's 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 it's, it's not going to be the same. It's just not. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. Do you think that you know season two is just around the corner? Uh, we're going to see uh, Captain Pike, of course. We'll eventually see Spock. We'll see the Enterprise. Do you think that that is? really an attempt by them to explore storytelling from those, you know, those characters that you know, Spock we've seen before, but Pike we haven't really seen before. Or do you think that it's almost just nakedly a chance to try to get fan service in to please people that were upset with the, uh, the setting of uh, the first season of discovery? Hmm. Certainly. I think the enterprise showing up in a, like a shining light on a hill at the end of season one <laughs> with the theme. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that certainly was a bit of fan service. And, you know, but but I think to bring, you know, this era in that we we know the Enterprise was out there with Captain Pike in this this era. Um, So and even from the book um, Drastic Desperate Hours, we we see a Pike and a Giorgio interact. Right. So so I I think that it it's going to be good for the show. And I don't really feel like it's fan service because, you know, honestly, we got more of Pike in the the Abrams verse than we ever got in um, in Star Trek, the the TOS. So I said, bring it on. Let's explore this area we know that's there that we don't know much about. And let's see where we can go with that. I just think it's excellent. Uh, now, depending on where you land on the cage, you could say uh, some of the stuff was very different in the cage. But, you know, I think this is an unexplored area that we can we can definitely dive into and i think it could bring bring some good good storylines yeah i agree i'm always fascinated by how tv production works and the fact that none of us should have ever seen the cage (laughs) do you know what i mean like when a pilot fails they trash it and maybe you could find it on a bad like vhs at a con or something like that somebody selling it and the fact that they had this property that got used you know out of desperation in the first season of the original series and then got, like we said, put into the into the canon. Now, 50-some years later, they're reaching back for new story ideas. And yeah. we're going to get to see this character that was created 50 years ago as an afterthought uh, do more stuff. Like, that does excite me. Uh, I'm excited, too, by him being played by Anson Mount, who... Um, yeah. I think is cool uh, and deserves. I, I want to see him in something where he can talk and not the yeah. Inhuman show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he can talk. Uh, I've been told he can talk. Uh, and also, I'm pretty excited about seeing uh, Spock being played by Ethan Peck as well. 
Yeah, now what show was it? Ten Things I Hate About You with Ethan Peck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've never seen that show. Yeah. Um, again, like you, I saw uh, Anson Mount in um, Inhumans, where right. I've never seen him utter a word, uh, which yeah. I saw. I did hear him talk at Comic Con, so I heard him talk. So, sure. <laughs> so I mean, I I think um, having them on is going to be good. You know, we get uh, I think Re- Rebecca Romaine as Una uh, as well. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I said bring it on, man. Let's let's get some more of these characters we know very little about, man. Let's let's bring it in, and and see uh, what we can explore. Now, I guess we get from the trailer, we we have the thing of Pike coming on and and, and taking over the Discovery. Yeah. Uh, because of these events, these bursts that are spread throughout the galaxy, that they have to investigate. And what other ship is primed to do this? Um, yeah, sure. The yeah. spore drive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, uh, that's, I mean, that's the macguffin kind of thing that, you know, <laughs> the season will follow, but I, I really like the idea of them. I don't know what they're going to do in season three, but I like the idea of them committing <laughs> to this. The main character isn't the captain thing because we see Giorgio, we see Lorca and now we've got Pike and I, I assume the show's still going to focus on Burnham. Um, but I like the idea that he can be the facilitator. You know, he's an experienced captain. Yeah. I'm excited, like I said, about seeing him, but we don't really need to learn anything about Pike. Like everything we learn about him at this point is just gravy. And so he can just be in charge. A lot of people at the end of the first season were like, will, you know, will Burnham be the the new captain <laughs> or are they going to pick up the captain from Vulcan or, or who's it going to be? And this just answers that question. We got it. It's somebody, you know, it's somebody that you like ostensibly and we can just get back out there after all the time of them figuring out the spore drive and doing the mirror universe and, and fighting the Klingons. I want to see Discovery just be a Starfleet ship, you know, just go out and explore, yeah. meet new things, uh, strange new worlds and so on and so forth. Yeah, though, though I have to say it was it's kind of hard for me to see Saru, who was finally sitting in the <laughs> captain's <laughs> yeah. chair confidently, yeah. Yeah. lose his position. Because like, in the books you learn, and we get it from the show as well, of this relationship between Saru and Burnham that's very much confrontational. Yeah. And that and that is very much flushed out in, in um, Desperate Hours. To where we see that you know they are fighting for this this new second in command, and um, you know Saru having more experience than Burnham, it doesn't get the position. You know it goes to Burnham. So uh, I just felt bad when Saru, after all of this that he's been through, you know, fighting with Burnham to reach this captain's chair. Right. And you know, so he's comfortable. He gets screwed. Yeah. Here comes Pike <laughs> with order or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. I uh, he should definitely. Th- well, he doesn't even have the excuse uh, that they had with Riker on TNG, where it's like he's kind of scared of commands, so he keeps turning yeah. it down. Like if they offer the Titan to Saru, I say he should take it. <laughs> he's taking it. He's got it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the short treks. Is there any um, particular character or setting that you're looking forward to with the uh, with the short trek films? Um, I think uh, I want to see definitely more of uh, Harry Mudd because, uh, sure, yeah. um, you know, one of my favorite episodes uh, with with Rain Wilson in it uh, was it um, Magic to Make the Saints Man Go Mad? I think right. that's the name. Yeah, e- excellent uh, Groundhog Day esque episode. I <laughs> yeah. just eat those up whenever I can get them. Anything with time, I love. Um, but you know, I'm ready to see that to see more of him, and I also want to see some of what they do with. Aldous Hodge in this AI thing. Uh, I, I really love that actor. He's in this show called Underground, and he's also yeah. in Leverage. He used to be in Leverage back in the day. Right. So, yeah, I really love that actor. And, you know, 
kind of see a side story that's not ingrained with one of the characters we've already seen yeah. and, and, and see what they do with him. So I'm, I'm anxious for that one. They have perfectly spaced these out, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. One a month. Uh, yeah. So so I'm assuming in around early February is when the show is going to start. Uh, I am hoping has, so. Yeah. yeah. Seeing has as they start, you know, uh, October 4th and, and carry on up until January 3rd. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the one with Hodge as well because it looks um, kind of spooky and creepy. Yeah, yeah. And like Trek, horror is one thing that Trek doesn't do all that well. <laughs> it, they try, but it, you know, they, they sometimes they try to be like Alien, like uh, Ridley Scott's Alien, and that's not really what Trek is. But I do, uh, you know, Michael Chavin is a, is a great writer, and so I hope that we get something really good out of that. Yeah, I'm hoping, hoping so myself. Well, I can't wait for the new season of the Short Treks. Uh, like they do start airing on Thursday, October 4th. Uh, we will, of course, be recapping and discussing them on our Star Trek Discovery podcast, Discoverage, that you can find at enterprisingindividuals.com. And you'll be discussing them, I'm sure, on Discussing Trek. Where can people find you and Discussing Trek on the web? Uh, you can go to discussingtrek.com, but I'll point people to Discussing Network, where you can find all of our shows. Great. Anything fun coming up for you guys in your next episode? Oh, man, we are kind of trying to go through this Section 31 arc. We started, again, with uh, Affliction from Enterprise. Sure. So I think there's one more Enterprise episode, the the um, the second episode at two-parter with Affliction, and then we're going to jump forward in time to DS9 to, to look at some Section 31 there. So, yeah. Sure. Well, Clarence, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, thank you for having me on there, and it's been fun. And um, yeah, we're, we're, I'll be catching up on on more of your episodes. Thank you for for letting me be on, man. Thanks again to Clarence for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun talking Trek with him. Be sure to check out Discussing Trek at at Discussing Trek, all one word, on Twitter, and the other great shows that they've got on the Discussing Network, which you can find at at Discussing Net, all one word, on Twitter. Discovery Season 2 is fast approaching. CBS confirmed ahead of their Discovery panel, which will be at New York City Comic Con this weekend, that Discovery will return in January of next year. Now, nothing more specific has been said than that just yet, but we will bring you updates on what we learned from that panel, so stay tuned. And while we wait for Season 2, this would be a great time to catch up on Season 1. Season 1 of Discovery drops on Blu-ray this November 13th, and you can pre-order it right now by clicking the link in our show notes or by going to enterprisingindividuals.com and clicking through our Amazon banner. When you click through our banner on enterprisingindividuals.com and shop on Amazon, a percentage of your transaction comes back to us at no extra cost to you and helps us keep the warp core lit here. And this counts for anything. It's not just Star Trek stuff. Uh, in fact, you can bookmark that banner, and when you click through to Amazon that way, whatever you buy, the same deal applies. It's a great way to help support the show. Anytime you shop on Amazon.com, click through the Enterprising Individuals banner and shop away. And maybe you're saying, hey, I've already pre-ordered my Discovery Blu-rays. I've got my Saru Funko Pop doll with extendable threat ganglia. I've got my Ensign Tilly Ogilvy perm kit. I'm all set. And also, why are you picking on Rob Liefeld? To which I would say, it's a thing, it's a joke, you know, Liefeld and feet, and why would he wear flip-flops and he's like showcasing his feet if he's, never mind. But, but I would also say, if you like what you hear on Enterprising Individuals and you want to support the show, why not head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISDpod. 
It's there that you can sign up to be a crew member for the show for a small monthly donation, and you can get access to exclusive subscriber content, like our live shows, including our live show with Measure of a Man writer Melinda Snodgrass, recorded live at Convergence 2018, my DS9 rewatch recaps. We just released a recap of the first Luxana Troy DS9 episode, you know, the one where Odo melts into her skirt. It's weird, and we talk about that. You can also get our new episode commentaries, like our latest commentary for The Cage, and our upcoming commentary for The Man Trap will be out soon. There's show merchandise and more. Just head to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Become a member of the crew today. Anybody can join our crew. We're not picky. Flip-flops to cowboy boots. All are welcome at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. And as always, the best way to support the show is to tell a friend. Anything you can contribute to the show will be appreciated and will help keep us flying. Thanks. And speaking of Season 2 of Discovery, our top comment on social media this week comes from former guest of the show, Eric Stilwell. Eric is a writer and producer and was the writer of Yesterday's Enterprise for TNG and Prime Factors for Voyager. He also co-wrote a DS9 novel called The 34th Rule with former show guests David George and Armin Shimmerman. CBS released a teaser poster for season two of Discovery featuring the seven mysterious lights that the new season will explore, and they were shaped into a stylized Starfleet insignia. But the really tantalizing bit is where the star would go in the middle of the insignia. There is instead a bird-like shape. It's similar to the winged form that we see in the teaser trailer or that Burnham sees for season two. And it's got the internet going. I've heard speculation that it might represent the Romulans, uh, the Iconians, the Aurelians. Remember the, the bird guys from yesteryear? Uh, everybody's got a guess, but none perhaps so right under our noses as Eric's suggestion when I posted the image on Facebook, Eric commented, The Great Bird of the Galaxy? Referring, of course, to the nickname of series creator Gene Roddenberry. Okay, you, you got me there. Uh, is this an oblique reference to Gene Roddenberry? Maybe. I think the only time that anybody actually says Great Bird of the Galaxy on any Star Trek show is in The Man Trap, uh, when Yeoman Rand brings Sulu a snack. You know, he's studying a plant in the botany lab. Remember when Sulu was a botanist for like 10 minutes? And he says, um, I don't know, maybe the great bird of the galaxy fly up your nose or something like that. Uh, you can check for yourself by listening to our Man Trap commentary available soon on our Patreon. I think the odds are a bit stacked against this one. Um, it's possible that it does act as a fun shout out to Gene uh, while hopefully introducing some new species or threat to the show. Maybe, just maybe, we'll get a hint of what it might be in the upcoming Short Trek films. Uh, they begin airing on CBS All Access this week, this Thursday. The first release is at 8.30 p.m. Central this Thursday. And we will be, as usual, on hand with a live recap show in the Discoverage style. At 9 p.m. Central, we go live talking about Runaway, this week's Tilly-centric Short Trek. And you can literally join the conversation, follow Enterprising Individuals on Twitter and Facebook. And once you've watched the Runaway short, check Facebook and Twitter for a link to our live stream of our recap episode, where you'll be able to comment and ask questions, which we may answer on the air. If we have any answers, that is. Go to facebook.com forward slash EISTpod or find us at at EISTpod on Twitter. We'll be broadcasting live on Spreaker.com, and I will include a link to our Spreaker page where you can hear our live shows and you can chat with us in the show notes. 
And once Runaway has aired, point your browser to Enterprising Interlocutions, our Facebook discussion group, to talk all about new episodes of Discovery. Uh, one note, let's try to have spoiler tags and warnings, please, uh, as our friends outside of the U.S. and Canada don't have access to the short treks yet, and we don't want to wreck anything for them. I have been looking into the feasibility and legality of possibly setting up a rabbit viewing party or rabb.it rab rab it anyway uh, you can do a viewing party of videos on there and i've been looking at doing that for the short treks i'll let you know what comes of that if anything if you think that's a good idea let me know on facebook or on twitter or by email at eistpod at gmail.com Back to Eric. Thanks for your comment. And we've got to get Eric back on the show because he knew the great bird personally. And I bet he's got a few stories that he could tell about Jean. For your top comment this week, you win un pondre la crenaire, a French housewarming party, as Eric and his wife just closed the deal on their retirement home in France. So lucky buggers. Congratulations. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcast listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on Apple Podcasts? Make sure that you're subscribed to the show. Also, write a little review if the spirit moves you and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it. Here's another little announcement. October is a time, of course, for tricking and treating. And we have a treat for you if you promise not to trick us. Actually, I'm not really sure how this works, but we are looking to get more reviews on services for the show. Like I said, like I always say on every show, they are very important to letting those services know that the audience is out there, that the show is doing well, that people love it. That way it moves up in the rankings. And so when people are searching for new and notable or things for sci-fi, for Trek, for that sort of thing, we pop up. People can go, huh, let's check this out. So we really need you guys' reviews. Um, Clearly, a good review would be something that we would be looking for. But, you know, be honest, because we appreciate that as well. All of this month, if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, wherever it is, if you give us a review, you subscribe to the show, and you give us a rating, your name goes in the hat. And on Halloween, I am going to pull a name out of that hat, and the winner will receive a special edition 50th anniversary Star Trek Trivial Pursuit card set, complete with Galileo Shuttlecraft card holder. It's a really fun set of cards. They've actually replaced the regular cards in the Trivial Pursuit games I've been playing with friends. They're, they're, they're tough. <laughs> they're not easy questions. But they'll put a Star Trek spin on your weekly game night. So to sum up, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, your listening platform of choice. Subscribe to us and give us a rating. And you could win a set of Star Trek Trivial Pursuit cards. Anytime you leave positive comments and ratings and reviews, we're eternally grateful. Next week on Enterprising Individuals, October is the spookiest month, and we'll be looking at a selection of scary episodes to celebrate the season. There are plenty of scary aliens and monsters in the world of Trek, but sometimes existential fear, the fear that somehow our utopia is at risk, and the measures that some will go to safeguard it can be even scarier. Writer Eleanor Tremere joins the show next week to look at a pair of episodes in which paranoia pushes Starfleet to the brink and Captain Sisko puts his commission and his freedom on the line to save the Federation's soul. It's Homefront and Paradise Lost, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban, signing off and saying live long and prosper. Yeah.